Peace to you. Thank you for joining me for the Naked Truth. We're going to pick up where we left off with the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11. And um, just at a glance, it's going to have some pretty sensitive information in it. So if you're a person triggered by things like um, sexual exploitation and such, then just be warned. So we're going to begin with verse 1. Um, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when king when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So it's the same David and Goliath. David, he's king now. Joab is basically the general commander of his army and he's um, they're going out to wars and it's saying it in the spring of the year almost as if it's a routine thing that that's the best time, best weather to go out for battles, and it routinely happens. The people of Amman are the same people who are descendants of um, the same area called Amman, Jordan. In modern times, they're actually distant relatives of the Israelites through incest. We read about that in the whole Sodom and Gomorrah narrative that seems to just not even get talked about in uh, mainstream religious circles in church at all. They don't seem to talk about that part of that story at all they instead they focused on focus on a they generally focus on the homosexual aspects of the story and don't say anything at all about the fact that two daughters were molested by their father and impregnated by their drunken father and neither the uh, alcohol abuse or the sexual abuse of the daughters and impregnating them gets mentioned at all, as if that's not the narrative of, of the Sodom and Gomorrah story, moral of the Sodom and Gomorrah story at all. Yet that's where the people of Amman um, uh, stem from, at least according to the Bible. So it's those same people that we're talking about in that area of the world that David is warring with. Verse 2, then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So King David has time on his hands. He's not going to the battles anymore. It seems he's sending the armies out to battle and um, he uh, sees a naked woman bathing. Um, and also one other thing, he's already married, not to one woman, not to two women, but it's at least three women. And not to mention he has other side pieces and kids from basically all of those women but he still got the wandering eye. Verse three, so David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So now David's wondering who's the sexy woman he sees. He asks around about her and finds out uh, who she is and whose daughter she is, meaning whose property is she, who does she belong to? Um, the word, the phrase given in marriage. Uh, when someone is given away in marriage, when a bride is given away in marriage, it comes from women being property in ancient times. Um, so he's finding out who does she belong to. So he finds out who her father is, but then he also finds out she's also some other man's wife. She belongs to another man, a Hittite, a whole other nation of people. Um, so is that a barrier to him going after her since he's a religious patriarch and a uh, uh, figure, a high figure in the Bible. Let's see, verse four. Then David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her for she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house. So 
the narrator here uh, in the book of Second Samuel is not Samuel. It's his name for Samuel. Samuel died uh, many chapters ago, but the book is still named after him. But the narrator here seems to be um, pointing out the fact that she's cleansed from her impurity, not focusing on the fact that she's already another man's wife, but instead focusing on the fact that she's ritually cleansed, meaning her period. She's already had her menstrual cycle and she's cleansed from that. So it's okay to touch her. Because remember when we read previously in all the dogmatic laws, uh, not even laws, statutes and ordinances that were laid out by the religion, a woman is not allowed to touch anything while she's on her period because anything she touches is considered unclean and impure, just like she's in considered unclean and impure while she's on her period. And even after she has children, she's considered unclean and impure. Um, but now you see here are the narrator in verse four is letting us know it's okay to touch her because she's cleansed from her impurity. Nothing again about the fact that she's already married to someone else. David has taken her and had sex with her. That's what it means when it says he lay with her. So he's the king. So um, it's almost like when um, the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky um, saga with all that happened. Um, no matter how it happened, he's the one who has power. She's the one who doesn't. So um, however it happened, whether it was consensual or not, there's a element of coercion or force involved with it since one person has power and the other one does not. So it's the same thing here with David sending for Bathsheba. Whether she volunteered to have sex with him or wanted to have sex with him, it's basically irrelevant. The king who has power sent for her and he wanted to have sex with her and he had sex with her. Verse five, and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I'm with child. So from the encounter, she's pregnant. And she sent back message to him to let him know she's pregnant. Um, so this also lets us know some amount of time has passed. If you go by modern American standards, you, we'd have to guess that it's at least six weeks since generally speaking, that's the amount of time that the religious right wing is willing to give women who want to seek abortion um, or how should we put it? Um, reproductive rights. If they want to use their reproductive rights to terminate a pregnancy at the very most, the most um, time that the religious right in America are willing to give women is six weeks to know that they're pregnant and want to end that pregnancy. So we know most likely at least six weeks have passed since the encounter since he took her and had sex with her. Um, however long it is, however short it was, she knows she's pregnant and she's let him know. Verse six, then David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. So now that David knows he's got a child on the way um, from Bathsheba, he's had his general, uh, Joab, the army general, send Uriah, Bathsheba's wife, to a husband, excuse me, to him. Verse 7, when Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. So again, presumably some amount of time has passed by for um, all of this to go on since uh, it's not, they didn't presume that the baby she's pregnant with is Uriah's. It's clear to them that it's David's, to David and, and Bathsheba that is. Um, so Uriah must have been gone from home for some time. And so he's sent from him from the war front 
to find out with the cover story of finding out how the battle is going. Verse 8, And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. So David is using more of his shady tactics. We've seen this again and again, that he's not some um, always upstanding fellow at all. Um, now he's had sex with the man's wife and impregnated her while he's out to war. He's having sex with his wife. He's had sex with his wife and impregnated her. And now he's told him to go down to your house, presumably to go see what's happened, what your wife has been up to, to see that she's pregnant while you while you've been gone. And uh, as a, I don't know, a twist of the knife, sent a present behind him of a gift of food following him. So he sent Uriah back home to go see what his wife has been up to, but also sent a gift of food along the way. Verse 9, But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So he was given a direct order from the king to go to his house, but he didn't follow that order. So I guess in that way, some people would say, oh, he's getting what he deserves then because he, he's disobeyed the order of the king. Just in the same way as if a president starts a war and sends the army to war and you don't follow those orders, um, think Chelsea Manning and others, um, you'd be considered um, guilty of, um, of uh, I guess, dereliction of duty or whatever else other charges you could be charged with for not following the order that you were given as a command. So some people would probably write it off in that sense and absolve David of any guilt in what he's done. It seems like a stretch to me, but let's just keep reading. Uriah didn't go down to his house like he was told. Instead, he slept right there at David's house. Verse 10, so when they told David, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? So now David is uh, asking Uriah, uh, haven't you been away at war? Why haven't you gone back to your house to go see about your wife? go see your family. Even if they didn't have kids, his wife is still his family. So he's wondering, why didn't you go home since you've been gone away, uh, presumably for some time at war? Verse 11, and Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go down? Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. So Uriah, it turns out to be, it turns out is the more honorable one of the two, of King David and the soldier Uriah. Uriah is the more honorable one. He's saying that rather than go down and have fun with his wife while he's in town, since he's been sent away from the uh, battle lines of war, he'd rather just stay right there and um in solidarity with solidarity with those at war um, and not go down to his house and not go back to his house and have sex with his wife and have a nice meal and sit down and chill. He'd rather just stay there with where everyone else, as close to everyone else as he can, um, since he's not there at the battle lines anymore. And so he's saying he swears that he won't go and do that. It would be, un, it'd be unrighteous for him in his eyes to go and um, have fun when his soldier brothers are still at war. Verse 12, then David said to Uriah, wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. 
So Uriah remained. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. So David is like, oh, okay. So you don't want to go and discover what's going on at your house. Fine. You want to be so pious. You want to be so sanctimonious. Go ahead and stay here another day. Don't worry about going home to your house. Stay right here. Verse 13. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. So once again, now Uriah is eating and drinking because according to the narrative, David made him do it. So it's not that he wanted to just chill and party since he's not on the battle lines anymore. The king made him eat and drink and uh, sort of let down his guard and relax. Since he's not on the battle lines now, he's at the king's palace um, and he stayed there again and again did not go down to his house to go see his wife, um, which again, presumably if he saw her, he'd see, oh, she's pregnant and I was out of town, so it's not my baby. It's David's way, it seems, of trying to let him see what's been going on with his wife without being man enough to just go ahead and tell him what he's done to him. Again, not honorable at all. Verse 14, in the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. So now this is where the extra dirty part comes in. It's already shady enough what he's done, taking the married woman and having sex with her and impregnating her. Now he's even tried to get the husband the, uh, of the woman he took to go and discover it by chance that she's pregnant. And since that didn't work, now he's taken an extra uh, really low level. To, um, he's sunken to the depths now to um, let the whole situation be discovered. He's taking Uriah and giving him a message to take back to Joab, um, who's at war. Verse 15, and he wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So how dirty is that? David is now um, taking the wife from the man He's impregnated the man's wife. He's kept the whole situation from the man who's been at battle, um, been at war, and returned from the war. And now he's even put a message in the man's hand to have the man killed, the man who he's done all these things to, Uriah. He's even put the death warrant in his own hand and had, it, had him deliver it to Joab, the one who he's given the command to make sure he dies really low down. Um, verse 16, so it was while Joab besieged the city um, uh, that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. So not only has David required, uh, oh, told, uh, commanded Joab to put Uriah back in the battle, but put him at the most dangerous part of the battle, at the forefront of the hottest uh, theater of the battle, so that others, he'd be all by himself and surely killed in the battle. That's what David's plan was, and that's what's in the note that he sent um, by Uriah's own hand for Uriah to be killed. And he's given it to Joab, and Joab has done it. He's followed through with the command the king gave him, and he's put him in a place where he knew he'd be in a hot battle with valiant soldiers on the other side. Verse 17, then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. So just like David planned, 
Uriah has been killed in the battle, not by chance, but by design. Verse 18, then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war. So Joab is reporting the progress of the war back to David the king. Verse 19, and charged the messenger saying, when you finish telling the matters of the war to the king, so Joab has sent a messenger back to David with the progress of the war and how things are going. And he's given him, uh, he's given the messenger a specific part of the message to make sure he includes. Verse 20, if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? So that Joab is saying, if the king gets mad at the fact that some of the soldiers died in the most recent battle there in the war, and even tells you, why would you get so close to the wall, uh, knowing that you could be attacked from the wall? So Joab is saying, if the king comes at you with that, so, with that sort of message, that sort of response to the battle not going so well when you approach the wall, verse 12, 21, um, is, he's going on further with what else the king might say uh, as far as it being dangerous to get close to the wall um, and and losing lives there in the battle for getting close to the wall. Verse 21, who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of a millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So Joab is putting it in the mouth of the messenger to say, if David asks you, why did you get so close to the wall? Don't you remember when Jeroboam got too close to the wall and a woman ended up taking his life and killing him? Um, if, the, if the king comes at you with that sort of response about getting too close to the wall, then make sure you tell the king that Uriah the Hittite also died. So he's putting it, all this message and all of this response in the messenger's mouth for when David, for whatever reaction David may give when he hears how the battle is going. Verse 22, so the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab, Joab had sent by him. So the messenger has faithfully returned to David with the message. Verse 23, and the messenger said to David, surely the men prevailed against us. Um, let's see again. Okay. Start, read that again. Verse 23, and the messenger said to David, surely the men prevailed and came out in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. So if you've read with me before, then you already know why I reread that. So I don't want any forces prevailing against myself. And I suggest if you don't either, be careful how you read that. So, um, but what they're saying there, and if you do have, this is your first time reading with me, then um, read Matthew chapter 12, 37. It's a Christian message. Um, Letting us Christians know that for by your words, you'll be justified and by your words, you'll be condemned. So be very careful about the things you say, even if they're, and maybe even especially if they are things in the Bible. So anyway, back to what verse 23. So the messengers letting David know that the battle was hot and the people, the people they were fighting against drove them, uh, went at them fiercely, but they were able to drive them back as far as the gate. Verse 24, the archers shot from the wall at your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So that's the part of the message that's most key, that Joab knows David would want to hear, since that was the whole point of sending Uriah to the battle line was so that he would die. 
So the messenger has returned the message to David that the battle got hot and that they drove them back, but then that the archers were able to prevail and even kill Uriah. Verse 25, then David said to the messenger, thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So he so encouraged him. So David is telling the messenger to take the message back to Joab that, hey, don't let it bother you. The sword doesn't discriminate, just like, like you say in modern times. The bullet doesn't have any names on it. If someone starts shooting randomly into a crowd, the bullet doesn't have names assigned to it. Whoever it hits, it hits. Whoever dies from it, dies from it. So David is saying the same thing. Don't let the situation bother you. The arrow, the sword will kill whoever it kills. It doesn't have anyone's name written on it specifically. And he's saying, so don't worry about it. Um, strengthen yourself and keep fighting. Um, really, really dirty. Really, really low down. A scoundrel. Um, verse 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. So it seems Bathsheba didn't really have much choice, like I said earlier, in hooking up with David. It was his authority that took her, and it, she really didn't have much choice in the matter. And she's even mourning the fact that her husband was killed in the battle. Uh, and whether she knows that David set it up or not, it's not written. Um, but she's mourning for her husband who's died in the battle. Verse 27, and when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. And the thing that David did, that David had done, displeased the Lord. So she mourned for her dead husband. Uh, when her time of mourning was over, David resumed uh, the power, flexed his power again, and went and took her again as his own wife. And the child they conceived, or the child that she's with from his um encounter with her um uh did she bear it out or did i skip over that part um her house oh yeah so she did have the baby not only was she pregnant she went on and actually had the baby and um so now it looks like they're one big happy family her mourning for her dead husband is over and david took her as his wife and now look she had a baby just like that so anyone who would know the timeline would probably know, unless the baby is a preemie, uh, then they were already involved beforehand. But she wouldn't really, didn't again, didn't have any choice over it so much as David did. But however, the, whatever, however it went, the narrator is saying that the thing that happened displeased the Lord. So and Lord here is being translated from the word or name Jehovah. Let me see if it's capital, it's a name. If it's lowercase, it's a word, and it seems. The translation is from a capital Y, or as we pronounce it in English, Y, uh, Jehovah. So that lets us know that's the entity, the deity being worshipped at this time and identified as the Lord, um, even though it's just Lord in English. And if you've read me before, you already know what I'm saying there. Um, so it's saying that all of those, the turn of events, that's how it went, but it wasn't pleasing to God. Um and that's sort of laying the groundwork for what's going to happen next with David, with Bathsheba, and with the baby. Um, but that's the end of this chapter, because that was the last verse in this chapter. So that's where we're going to end this reading. 
As always, thank you for reading along with me. I hope the naked truth is a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. I love you and I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.